0: I fell into the film hole 13 years ago roundabout, and there's this real power that film has.
1: I've been a renter in New York for, you know, going on 10 years, and I wanted to
2: create this platform to help renters do more research on their buildings and landlords. Plantar fasciitis, stress fractures, Achilles tendonitis, all of those are actually really preventable.
3: I'm Richard Gerhardt.
2: And I'm Elizabeth Gerhardt. You've just heard some snippets from
4: our show. It was a fantastic show. Stay tuned for the whole thing.
3: Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it part. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart, an intellectual property lawyer specializing in patents, trademarks, and copyrights.
4: And I'm Elizabeth Gearhart, not a lawyer, but I work at Richard's law firm, Gearhart Law, doing the marketing, and I have my own startup.
3: Welcome to Passage to Profit, everybody, the show that's all about entrepreneurism, small businesses, and the intellectual property that helps them flourish. Tonight, we have a special treat.
4: So we have an IP in the news, intellectual property in the news story, which is very relevant to the times that we're in. In
3: addition, we also have as our guest presenter tonight, Toby Demo, who is a filmmaker extraordinaire, and his work has appeared on HBO, among other places. So we're really going to be looking forward to speaking with him.
4: And landlords out there. Oh, boy. Uh, you want to check out what Aliyah Muhammad has. You know how there's all these chat groups and everything? Well, she has started a platform for renters. If you're looking to rent something you've got to go to her platform first.
3: It's time for IP in the news. So we have an article here from the Washington Post that actually highlights the purported importance of intellectual property. And it's entitled, Russia says its business can steal patents from anyone in unfriendly countries. So since this is a show about intellectual property, of course, this immediately came to our attention because it's a little bit unusual for a country to fight sanctions with withdrawing intellectual property rights.
4: Unless you realize that intellectual property can be worth a lot of money.
3: Absolutely. And, and that's
4: why they're doing it.
3: And in fact, Russia has been a frequent intellectual property violator. They're actually on the U.S. trade representatives, countries to watch, priority watch list for IP abusers. So they're actually number two behind China on that list. So it's questionable what effect that so, they're, you so know. I got
4: to ask you, since yeah. McDonald's is pulling out of Russia,
3: yes,
4: is somebody else in Russia now going to start a McDonald's? Well and, and use the name McDonald's and sell whatever they want to sell.
3: Borscht? Well, I vodka. <laughs> I, you know, I actually read the article and okay. what the article said was that there are 850 McDonald's restaurants in Russia that they are suspending, you know, temporarily. But the fact is, is that if Russia also revokes trademark rights in addition to patent rights, then they could literally operate as McDonald's restaurants in theory, without paying the franchise fee. Right now, they're apparently not open. So I guess we're actually doing the Russian population a favor by making them healthier, right? So it's time for Richard's Roundtable. And I'd like to ask our panelists what they have to say about this phenomenon. If you have any other questions about intellectual property, I'm here to answer them.
0: Toby? Yeah, you know, from the uh, movie perspective, Russia is always sort of the safe harbor of all the torrents and sort of illegal streaming slash illegal downloading websites. Uh, I feel like the violation of intellectual properties is not a new thing in their game. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, f- I found it fascinating. I read this um, whole uh, interesting book about AI and China and how in China, the intellectual property protections are so low that everybody imitates each other right away. And so it creates this enormous field of competition. I don't know if that's going to be the case in Russia because who knows how long the war will last. So somebody saying, hey, I'll start up my own McDonald's You know, if the war is over in two weeks because somebody finally figures out that Putin should not be in power, then (laughs) that was a failure of a startup.
3: (laughs) I've eaten in McDonald's in different countries. It doesn't taste quite the same, for example, in Europe as it does Mm -hmm. in the U.S. For some reason, you get tired of the local food. There's always that McDonald's there that you can get a taste of home. But in Europe, they sell wine sometimes uh, and beer at the McDonald's restaurants. Oh, wow. Just imagine that combination a, a Big Mac and a beer. I don't know. So, Dr. Emily, tell us what your thoughts are.
2: Sure. So I actually have a question for you as far as the number of patents and trademarks per location. So I know the US is very much associated as this land of innovation and entrepreneurship. That's what kind of our founding fathers were really this country was built around. Which Mm -hmm. Country has the greatest number of patents and trademarks globally?
3: Well, that's a great question. And it's changed a lot over the years. Actually, in the US, China is the number one filer of intellectual property. The reason for this, part of the reason, is that the Chinese government is paying mm-hmm. its businesses to file intellectual property in the United States. So they're actually trying to encourage a large number of patents. And the other piece of that is. Chinese patent and U.S. patent are very different. So you need to keep in mind that a U.S. patent might contain five inventions. And the way Chinese patent agents draft their applications, they would split that up into five different patents. So even though the numbers are off, sort of the the amount of protection is still probably greater in the U.S. But yeah, they're number one now.
2: If I can share just something real quick on that also. So we have, Neboso has five trademarks in various countries where they have characters. So Japan, China, places like that. And we had to trademark the common name for our product. So Neboso, doesn't translate directly in Chinese so we had to ask someone local or actually quite a few people what would they call our product naboso and then we trademarked those characters. I just thought that was really interesting and if you have any kind of insight on that as well or you've heard of that.
3: Absolutely that's really important that you get it right in the local language if you're planning to market your product in the local language. So English is a bit ubiquitous in that it's Pretty well-spoken, so a lot of marks hold up pretty well internationally. But if you're going to market it in the local language, then you have to file your mark there.
1: It's interesting to see that, you know, Russia or other countries can make this decision that can threaten other people's intellectual property. I think it goes to speak to, you know, entrepreneurs to sort of be, to be wary. It's, you know, IP is something important, but you really need to establish different types of moats because, you know, unless you're willing to, you know, go down that litigation route and you would know more about this than me and curious to hear your thoughts, it can be a long process to enforce that IP. So curious what your advice would be for entrepreneurs that, you know, maybe, Maybe their IP has been threatened in a place like Russia or or other places, you know, what they should do, even if it's worth pursuing.
3: Right. Well, you got to pick and choose your battles carefully. A lot depends on your budget. Most patents in Russia are really for life science companies. They protect pharmaceuticals there, less on software and consumer products. If you're in a company that has weak intellectual property protections, you really have to rely as much as you can on reputable agents and you know strong contracts. I've never personally enforced a patent in Russia. I have in China and most other European countries. So I really can't speak personally to the enforcement system, but if you can at least get something started and maybe work out a license agreement, you don't necessarily have to pay for a whole trial. And that principle applies across all enforcement of intellectual property. Very rarely do these cases actually go to trial, and lots of times they can be settled quickly. But it's something if you have an infringement, you need to talk with an IP professional about that. Makes sense. Kenya. Well, you kind of
5: stole my thunder a little bit. You answered my question. I was going to say, does Gerhardt Law handle cases internationally? And how often do you see this, you know, as you practice?
3: You know, more often than you think. And we actually do a fair amount in Europe. So the IP takeaway for our roundtable today is if you have patents in Russia, kiss them goodbye until the war is over. And just be wary of when you do business in countries that have weak IP laws, you just need to take that into account from a business perspective. I think larger companies are going to be affected by this. But in any case, we'll be back with more passage to profit. We have to take a commercial break and we'll be looking forward to discussing all things film with Toby Demo.
6: There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearhartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson.
3: Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Our next guest, Toby Demel from Prodigium, is a world-class filmmaker. How did you get in the production business in the first place, Toby? Tell us... A little bit about your story.
0: I started as a teenager uh, as a CGI artist just in high school and I'd be like a freelancer and work for different companies and like wow I can make a living on my own with this art stuff on a computer and uh, I was determined not to go to college I'm just gonna like do my own thing in Austria but when I moved to the U.S. and I kind of experienced this whole bigger world I was like there's more to this you know just visual communications and doing art there's this ability to really impact people and to inspire them and it's primarily really with film and so I fell into the film hole. This was now 13 years ago, roundabout, And there's this real power that film has, the ability to inspire people to really rethink their assumptions and to see the world in a different way. And I think all of us have movies that have impacted us or TV shows that have impacted us in the job that we chose to work in, right? Like, why would I go down this route? Oh, I saw this character in this movie and that character really inspired me to do X, right?
3: That is such a huge thing. When I was growing up, Perry Mason, used to be a big program. And Perry Mason was an attorney at law. And so I always grew up with that image of a lawyer in mind. And that's one of the reasons why I became a lawyer, right?
0: Yeah. And I'm sure it's similar, you know, with with this show, right? Like somebody might be listening in and be like, oh, I'd actually love to be an inventor. I'd love to do this. I'd love to create a, you know, like a big uh, sort of web 2.0 or something for, for the body, right? Like there's this ability to observe other people and then get inspired by it. And so we formed our company kind of around that idea, right? That we could either promote services or products that we really believe in and have this skill that we've built in communicating stories in a really powerful way and then support initiatives in the world that we think are really great. And so we do a lot of client-based work where we do commercials and launch videos for really promising startups or great nonprofits uh, where we think they have the ability to change the world uh, for the better. And then we do original content where we create something from scratch. And we say, let's just try to make a documentary, make a feature film about X and see if we can push the needle just a tiny bit in the right direction. So that was the case with Gaming Wall Street where an area in the world that needs a lot of reform.
3: <laughs> right. I didn't get a chance to watch the whole documentary, but I did get to see what was, you know, the trailer on the website and it was very powerful. Can you sort of remind us of what the whole GameStop facts were.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's also a story of innovation, right? It's this company that's sort of a brick and mortar retailer. GameStop is a, a company that sells video games for the most part in these stores and oftentimes malls. They have a small online business. And a lot of the Wall Street hedge fund business that is really engaged in trying to figure out which companies are going to go a bust tomorrow and can still be sort of profited off of by betting against them. Well, like GameStop is a perfect pick. And it was, for many years, a great pick to bet against. Then last year, or st- sort of- I was the end just going to 20- say,
3: imagine what it's like to have a company that people are betting against.
0: I mean, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, it's sort of the, the business cycle, right? Like yeah. sometimes something's just obsolete and if you can't adapt quickly enough, it goes out. Um, But yeah, in 2020, there was this kind of crazy movement where for a variety of reasons, right? The the stock was very cheap. So a lot of people felt that it was valuable to buy it and it was going to go up eventually. A new investor came on board, Ryan Cohen. So a lot of uh, theses formed around like, Gamestop could have a turnaround story and we could bet on it. And then they realized, oh, actually, there's all these Wall Street guys betting against it. And if we bet on it hard enough, the stock's going to go up and all of these guys are going to have to get out of their short position. They have to stop betting against it. And that then drives the price even higher. And so it was this crazy online movement that really changed wall street forever a lot of pundits kind of commented that this was just like an artifice and nobody really cared on wall street but it really scared wall street to the bones that people suddenly had this power right and so in an interesting way the economy is oftentimes influenced by what people care about and so this is the perfect demonstration of when people care about something and when people feel like they have an ability to kind of get back at the quote unquote system, right? This is a lot of this roots back to 2008. And we make this very strong argument in the show that 2008 was never properly avenged. There was never a system of really uh, doing justice to the people that caused 2008, right? And so similar to the intellectual property enforcement world, right? If there's no enforcement, people will just violate it right? And so similar on Wall Street, the enforcement is so weak and it is so insignificant because it's only monetary damages. It's never jail time. Uh, So there's no incentive for an individual to uh, stop gaming the system. And
3: the people who can afford to game the system don't want any changes either, right? So you have a whole universe of people there that see this as a way to take advantage.
0: Eventually, right, with all of this sort of created, it kind of ripped the curtain off of the financial system's inner workings and the sort of dirty mechanics behind the scenes. And that kind of exposure is really necessary for larger scale change. And so in a way, even though the attempt itself might have been futile, I think the outcome is really significant because it truly created Literacy, right? Uh, investment literacy, financial literacy across very broad amounts of the population. People got more interested in the stock market than they've ever been before. And as part of our documentary, we then went into these places that this, um, this phenomenon really exposed. And so various parts of Wall Street where there's just a lot of gaming going on and where the people that play against the rules are not getting caught. And so our documentary is a small contribution to uh, bringing more accountability So what
3: happened was that, I guess, online communities, I think you mentioned Reddit in the documentary, people got together and they started buying the GameStop stock, right? And that just sort of caught on, it went viral. And by doing that, the price kept going up, like almost out of control. Yeah, completely out of control. completely out of control. And that really screwed the people who were betting against the company. So how did all of this eventually end?
0: It's uh, still ongoing. This is kind of the fascinating part about it, right? So there was this initial massive spike in January 2021 that was sort of seen as this like gigantic short squeeze. And there's a lot of theories over what exactly happened, right? And the story is not complete. The interesting thing with the stock market, it's kind of like the weather, you know, it's impossible to trace back individual events that created something, right? It's like a little bit like the butterfly and the Amazon on that creates the storm in Florida. So in many ways, that story still has to be fully figured out. We only found a few of the puzzle pieces, but we found some puzzle pieces that nobody else had found before and we put them in the documentary. And so for those that are really interested in what exactly went down, I feel like this doc is sort of a way to both find details that you've never seen before. And then for people that have no idea about it, I think very similar to inventing things and to uh, entrepreneurship, you need to find a place to enter this field, right? And so our documentary is really constructed for somebody that doesn't have any idea about what the stock market is, how it works, why it works, why it matters. And we really take people from zero to this incredibly complex place. And we trust our audience to be intelligent, right? Like HBO Max is a very large platform, 70 million subscribers. So we have to make it palatable to a large audience that oftentimes does not have investing experience or is actually scared of investing. And so we try to take that fear out of it by saying, look, there's something that's really crazy and really funny, that is sort of a great learning opportunity. And by that learning opportunity, we can go into places of complexity that many people on Wall Street have never gone into. A lot of Wall Street is similar to the tech world, right? It's very specialized in specific areas. And so these areas of abusing the short selling mechanism, for example, is unknown to most people on Wall Street, because they just don't engage in short selling period.
5: I was curious to know what the name of your company means, and my co- my question is twofold, really. Like, what do you feel differentiates what you do compared to other filmmakers in the market, and are is there anybody else in the space that does what you do?
0: Yeah, great question. So, prodigium it's a Latin word, and it means kind of the quiet before the storm. And the entertainment world has seen itself for a very long time as just sort of you know popcorn, everybody's having a good time. But we really think that entertainment has a massive amount of power and therefore also a massive amount of responsibility. And we see ourselves as pioneers of that field of saying, look, there's a social impact to entertainment. And at Prodigium, we um, not just do this in a sort of kumbaya way where we pat each other on the back and say, great job, we're going to change the world. But it's really like, what is the science, right? Like, what is the science of storytelling? Why do stories affect the human brain in such a significant way? And so we go to great lengths, going to Indonesia to conferences, to Mexico City to interview sort of the grandfather of some of this school of thought, I interviewed Albert Bandura, 91-year-old, you know, most quoted psychologist in the world soon before he died about that very specific question. How do stories affect the human brain and why are they so powerful? And so we use that scientific insight to then construct both of our sort of mission-driven commercials as well as uh, our feature films around. And that is rare in the film world. There's very few people that have a similar belief in science as we do. The film world works very much with magic. People say, oh, there's this natural given talent that I grew up with and I've become a great writer. I'm a big believer in skill. I'm a big believer in proof and in data. And many filmmakers are a little bit hesitant to say, oh, I don't really want to see the data. I don't want to know exactly like how this affected an audience, because then suddenly I have to accept that extra responsibility. So we're trying to invite in the entertainment community and saying, look, this responsibility that you have towards the audience, it's going to be there no matter whether you like it or not. It's not a matter of choosing whether you're going to have an impact or not. It's a matter of choosing whether you're going to know what kind of impact you're going to have, and if you can control that impact, and if you can shape it in a responsible way. And so we do a lot of publishing of our own R&D for free, and we co-founded sort of a trade association called SIE Society. There's close to 300 companies worldwide that are engaging in social impact entertainment or a way to create impact through media. Um, And so, So all of these organizations are sort of joined together in SAE Society as a central nexus to exchanging that kind of information. And a lot of SAE Society was born out of our sort of early R&D efforts and then a magazine that we created called Cinema of Change.
5: One more quick question. So what you're applying visually using data, can you apply that also in the audio space? Oh,
0: yeah, 100%. Actually, some of the greatest and largest social impact campaigns ever have all been done on radio. So interestingly enough, in many developing countries where there are a variety of issues around, you know, knowledge about health, for example, it's very hard to tell people, here's a pamphlet, please read like XYZ diseases and how you avoid them. It's much easier to actually create a radio play with characters that all experience a world that is familiar to the audience in these countries and then actually have the audience identify and be like, oh, this character actually reminds me of my uncle. I should talk to my uncle and tell him that he should behave like this character because otherwise X, Y, Z consequences are going to happen to them. So it really doesn't matter what the media form is. In my somewhat biased opinion, picture and audio combined is the most powerful way to transport information on multiple layers. But audio itself is incredibly powerful. And there's a lot of historical evidence that um, these radio programs have massively changed the lives of millions and millions of people.
3: Well, when you think about the fireside chats, for example, (laughs) that was, I guess I'm dating my, I never heard one, but I am really interested though when you talk about how, from a scientific perspective, how media influences human beings. I was just wondering if you could give us a little bit more information on how that works.
0: Media does not have some absolute influence, right? I will not watch a movie about a murder and then turn into a murderer tomorrow. That's not how it works. What it does is it influences our picture of the world, right? And we have sort of multiple ways that we take in information about how the world works, our own experience, our friends, our family. Everybody's telling us like, oh, this is how the world works. This is how it works. And you go through an education system, the education system tells you how it works. But eventually, once you're an adult, oftentimes you're really left with your own perception and media and sometimes your friends, right? Oftentimes you'll see your parents as irrelevant in terms of what they think how the world works. Okay. So at that point, point, yeah. <laughs> and as a child, sometimes too, right? As a child, you think yeah. like mom, dad, like you have no clue what you're talking about. Right. So there, there's this definitive power, but media is one component out of a much bigger picture, right? And so it is both absurd to say like a, a child will turn violent because of one specific show, but also that you're going to change the world with one movie alone. And that's all it's going to take, right? So it's oftentimes a combination of a lot of factors. And to go to scientific level of why stories are actually powerful to the human brain is because they bypass a lot of our critical judgment that we have towards things like a listicle, right? If I give you a list of five facts, you will analyze every single fact as an individual piece. If I give you a story, you will actually kind of fall into that story and you will be on taking a so-called transportation effect where you go with these characters and you identify with them. So there's the emotional component, right? If you have a school class and you make it actually emotionally engaging, those uh, students will remember that class much, much better if they remember the emotional experience that they had, right? So our memory system in the brain is very much coupled to an emotional experience. If it's only a fact and there's no emotion uh, attached to it, that memory can go away very quickly. But if it's coupled with a strong emotion, it will become incredibly ingrained. So basically there's the component of emotion and then there's the component of identification, right? So if you tell me a belief that you have that I really think is like so off and it's so different from mine, and I would never listen to you now, ignore a conversation right away, right? Like this is sort of our current political landscape. People don't like listening to each other's opposing views. But if I tell you a story and you can start identifying with the emotional experience that I went through and why I shaped that belief, suddenly you're possibly able to empathize with me and you're able to figure out like, oh, this is why Toby feels this way. And so very similarly, stories allow us to put our feet into the shoes of another person and to go through their experience, right? And so when you watch a good movie, when you play a good computer game, when you read a great book, you will totally forget about who you are and where you are and what you're doing. You're just engrossed in the story and you're completely identified with it. And so that ability to create that experience, and the moment it's over, you wake back up and you're like, wow, this was amazing. And I totally understand what this person might be going through. That allows us to be empathetic to each other. And it allows us to connect with an experience that we will never have in our our own lives. And so as a society, this exchange of stories is super vital, right? And it's really a thing that goes back all the way to the beginning of language and drawing of cave paintings and to tell each other stories around the fireplace. It's just grown in scale, right? And so now that instead of telling the story that you have in your head to five people around a fireplace, but you're telling it to 70 million subscribers, now you have a lot of responsibility, right? Because you don't want to just burn down the world with something because you hate the specific thing. You have to really think about... How can I get the audience to understand a complicated problem in a story that is somewhat simplified, but still understand enough of the nuances to then make good decisions for their own lives and to start questioning some of their own assumptions about a particular part of society or a way that they interact with society.
3: That is media. the power of media for sure. Toby, it's been great having you with us, Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We'll be right back after this message.
7: Hi, I'm Lisa Askles the Inventress, Founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later, and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askleys, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, Lisa, at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com.
6: What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect. Contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearhartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at gearhartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson.
3: Passage to profit. It continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Time for Power Move with Kenya Gibson. Kenya.
5: Power Move this evening, we're going to talk about Equity Coin founder Vernon J, who launched the platform to help thousands of families in need acquire affordable housing. And he's doing this by marrying blockchain technology and affordable housing. And the platform is designed to help people own and have equity. And he's also creating a secondary market called Equity Share, which processes the terms and conditions of the real estate equity contracts on the blockchain, taking the real estate exchange from 30 days down to 30 seconds which I thought was super impressive.
3: That's amazing. That's great. And so is that available now? Where would people go to learn more about blockchain and buying a home? They can go to
5: equitycoin.com.
3: That's amazing. Thank you for um, bringing that up for our listeners. Now it's time for Elizabeth Gearhart. What's up with Fireside?
4: Yes. So I have a startup called Fireside Directory, another tool for the digital marketing space. It is a video directory of business owners and I've kind of had to pivot a few times. I've talked about it on every show since I started it, but basically I interview business owners about their businesses and put them on a directory, which I'm still working on the IT part, which I've learned a lot about websites and I've learned a lot about IT and some about programming, but that is really where I can't do it myself as an entrepreneur. I have to have help. So I've managed to squeeze some money out (laughs) I think, to try to find the right person to help me with all of the tech piece of this. But it really is a tech thing. And I really do want it to be a standalone directory, a true directory. And I want to distinguish it from other directories that exist now, like Google. Like I want it to be like a Google with videos, kind of, of small businesses, but not have all the other stuff that comes up when you're searching for something. I want to have as much as I can, and I don't know if the programming is there yet. I want to have a very clean search engine so that if you type in patent attorney, you only get patent attorneys. You don't get... Well,
3: hopefully you're only going to get me.
4: But but you you don't get, oh, here's a divorce attorney or here's a sponsored link to a real estate attorney or whatever. So that's kind of the goal for this is to have it be a super clean search engine, which I'm finding is kind of tough. And some of the things I wanted to do with the project, the technology isn't there yet, but I'm hoping like in five years it will be. So there's a lot to happen still with this. Now I want to move on to Dr. Emily Spickle. Now, I'm not sure that I can actually describe what she has. So she has to describe it, but it is for your feet and the rest of your body too. And it's incredibly innovative. And part of the focus of this show is, well, not the whole focus of the show is innovation. As you can see, we have very innovative people on here. So please, Dr. Emily, tell us what you have and how it works.
2: Of course. So I'm a functional podiatrist. That's my training. And I am now the CEO and founder of Neboso. And Neboso is a company that develops products to help activate your feet, to help you move better and feel better. So all of our products from insoles, socks, mats, Release tools, we have flooring, are designed with tiny little pyramids across them. So, to help you understand that more, the skin in the bottom of the feet is packed with nerves, kind of like your hand. And one of the nerves in the feet and the hands is sensitive to texture or what's called two point discrimination. To make that even easier, think about Braille. So, the way that your hand reads Braille or your finger reads Braille is by reading the two points. So the shape and the distance of the braille pattern is very specific to this nerve. We are stimulating that exact same nerve in your feet. So if you have tiny little pyramids like braille dots across every surface of our product, you are able to actually activate the brain to have a sense of where the feet are in space. So the easiest application of that would be someone who had a stroke, neuropathy, MS, Parkinson's, and they can't really feel their feet. They have compromised balance. They have very high falls. We actually use all of our products in that neurological space. And we help those individuals feel their feet again. So they can move better, walk better, maintain independence, We have videos of people running again and these amazing testimonials of people literally in tears because how impactful our products have been to help them feel their feet again. Seems simple, but really, really powerful. So what it does is three main things. It would stimulate the nerves, which helps the muscles of your feet contract. Strong foot muscles means strong feet, strong posture, strong movement. So I want you to have strong feet. That's part of my mission as a podiatrist. Second thing is that it is stimulating the circulation in the skin and the tiny little blood vessels. It's called microvascular. Microvascular is a big part of diabetes is they get microvascular disease, neuropathy, retinopathy, things like that, nephropathy, which is in the kidneys. And then the third thing is that You could say it's a mini massage.
3: Wow, that's amazing. I'm very excited about this. I'd like to run, for example. And so my feet take a beating and I'm thinking, I'm asking myself, maybe if I had stronger feet, I would be a better runner.
2: Well, 80% of runners will experience an injury at some point during their running career. 80% that's extremely high. And a majority of that is in the feet. So one of our largest markets is actually the running space. There you go. And we want them to recover. So recovering your feet every single day after a run or just every day, even if you're not running, actually helps to offset a lot of the injuries that I would see as a podiatrist. Plantar fasciitis, stress fractures, Achilles tendonitis, all of those are actually really preventable. Just mass consumerism needs to understand that. And that's part of what Neboso does and I do as a brand is I educate mass consumerism to understand that their feet need to be strengthened just like every other muscle in the body.
4: Where are you selling these? Are you in any retail stores or doctor's offices or anything yet?
2: Yeah, so 65% of our revenue is on our website. So direct-to-consumer or e-com, that's our strongest. That's where COVID was actually a decent time for us, obviously, because people were shifting. Um, People also looked at um, taking ownership of their own health. They were walking or working from home so they could create these different environments. So we did really well um, kind of as COVID hit its peak. We have global distribution. We have mass distribution in Europe, throughout Asia and Australia, and then uh, it would be in resellers. So medical fitness and specialty run retailers. Excellent. Thank you. So Toby, do you have a comment or question?
0: Yeah, I was uh, actually fascinated when you said, you know, there's this sort of a nerve amplification, maybe or using nerves that are usually not used. Is there a a neuroplasticity component to this where the brain sort of learns to rewire itself on those traumatic injuries or um, degenerative diseases like you mentioned?
2: You use one of my favorite words, neuroplasticity. Yes. (laughs) A lot of people think about neuroplasticity with the brain. So the central nervous system, right, is that as we get older, Do crossword puzzles, learn a new language, something to challenge the brain cognitively so that you stay with it, right? Same thing with your (laughs) peripheral nervous system, your feet, your hands, is you want to be bringing in stimulation to challenge it. I actually am a huge advocate of what I call barefoot baby boomers. So as people start to hit this increasing age, I need them to get their shoes off. Because of research showing that chronic use of shoes, cushion shoes, actually weakens these nerves. It decreases the sensitivity of the bottom of the feet. So using something like the Naboso insoles or socks, et cetera, yes, will challenge the neuroplasticity. One of the most fascinating areas is that we actually use our products with spinal cord injuries. So you're talking about people who are in wheelchairs and cannot walk, they're trying to learn to walk again, they will use our products and actually be able to feel their feet. So they just have this central nervous system perspective of where vertical is, where's the ground, and how can I use that to then strengthen posture and then hopefully gait again. The design patent and also our utility patent is around the specificity of the pattern. So the shape, height, and distance of our stimulus, the pyramid, is very specific to the efficacy that we see. Now, how we play around with the different outcomes is the durometer or the hardness of the material. So some of the insoles are made of a different material. Some are made of medical grade silicone. And then we play around with how hard the material is because the hardness stimulates the nervous system different.
3: I was just kind of wondering what it's like for a patient when they become aware of their feet because they're wearing these. How does a patient react when they become aware of their feet?
2: Uh, So we have videos on our YouTube channel of people specifically with Parkinson's is one of the most profound changes that you will see immediately. And what you'll see in some of the videos, I encourage you to go to Naboso's YouTube channel and you will see them walking without the neboso insoles, and then a second one with them doing it. And they are, majority of them are in tears. Um, it actually makes me emotional to like, see how impactful it is when someone cannot move, cannot walk. It's something that we take for granted until it's taken away from you and you can't walk your dog or something like that. So we're actually going through the FDA process for it. And then our socks, we're trying to go through FDA for a stroke sock so that as soon as someone has a stroke, it would be my goal that the hospital system is putting these socks on their feet so that they can reconnect to really one of the most foundational ways that your nervous system is able to relate to gravity and posture and movement. Again, it seems so simple, which is why when you watch the videos, (laughs) hopefully you do that, most people are like, there's no way that's snake oil. That's not doing that. But it's really the testimonials and the tears that you see. Like we were talking about like that social impact of connecting to it. When I am doing Uh, investor pitches and things like that we show those videos because we we want people to see the emotional side of these products it's not a trendy tchotchke from china it's actually really changing people's lives we actually did a pilot with stanley black and decker and we had 40 of their manufacturing floor workers wear them for eight weeks saw like an 85 percent reduction in foot pain back pain and fatigue so there's a ergonomic impact as well to all the standing employees I mean, that's nurses, that's manufacturing, that's police officers, it's TSA.
4: Could you please spell your website
2: quickly? Yes, N A B O S O, which, a fun fact, is actually a Czech word that means barefoot. And Richard, I did get the trademark in the US because our argument was there are such few Czech speakers that we can use a common word such as barefoot, but trademark the translated word in Czech.
4: Oh, yeah, because it would be hard to get barefoot as a trademark. Absolutely. So you are listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart, our special guest, Toby Demo, and you can find us on YouTube and on social media and on all podcast stations. So we will be right back.
6: There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearhart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a Solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearhartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson.
3: Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And
4: I am so excited to introduce our next presenter. (laughs) This has been a long time coming, what she's doing. I can't believe nobody did it before, but this is awesome. Aliyah Mohammed has Open Igloo. If you are a renter or a landlord, you have to go to this site. I'm not gonna say anymore. I'm gonna let Aliyah explain it. Welcome.
2: Thank
1: you so much. Yeah, so I'm the co-founder and CEO of Open Igloo. Open Igloo is a platform helping New York City renters find apartments, in highly rated buildings. So the reason I care about that is because I've been a renter in New York for you know going on 10 years, and it's been a bit of a roller coaster of an experience. Um, and I wanted to create this platform to help renters do more research on their buildings and landlords. So what the app does is it allows renters to read and share reviews about their rental experiences, but also look at the city data that's associated with their building and landlords. So for example, you can type an address, any address in New York City. You can take a look at the building profile. You can see Are there any open violations, right? So mold, leak, pests. Is there any litigation history, right? Has a tenant taken a landlord to court? Um, Is there a bed bug history? And then of course, read what other renters had to say about living in that property. Right now we're focused specifically on the building, the management, the landlord, and how things are run. So that's really what we're shining a light on is, you know, who owns this building? That's a huge black hole in the New York City market is you don't know who your landlord is and you don't know how many buildings they own, right? So that's, that's the information that we're trying to give rent so that they can make an, a more informed decision about their housing. Because one of the most frustrating things is, especially in New York, we spend so much money on our rent, right? This is a huge financial commitment. And it's usually a decision that you have to make in just a couple minutes, right? You walk around the apartment, you're like, okay, it looks good, you move in. And then it's only after you've been living in the place for a few months that all the issues start to pop up, right? We, I've had, I've read dozens of reviews of people saying, You know, the walls are so thin in this apartment, I can hear my neighbor sneeze. If I knew this, there's no way I would have moved in. But that's not information that you're going to get just from a simple viewing. You really need to talk to other people who've been there, done that.
4: I applaud you for helping people. I'm just curious, how do you find the owners? That's kind of hard sometimes. Do you have to dig through layers of holding companies and stuff?
1: The lucky thing is that New York is very sophisticated in the way that it collects and organizes a lot of this data. So landlords in New York City who own more than three units are actually required by law to register with the city. So they're submitting their information, the addresses. And what we've done is we've sort of gone on this expedition to pull together all of those government sources and put it into one place that's easily consumable for renters. Otherwise they'd be going to the deepest depths of, uh, of the internet to find all of this data. It's important information to know, right? You're moving into a building. So now you're gonna know, okay, is this a mom and pop landlord? Is this you know a one person show and they live on one of the units in the building or is this a big corporate conglomerate property owner where they have all of these different contact numbers or, or systems in place? So that's sort of a, a decision that the renter needs to make on what their preferences are. We've had stories of renters telling us, oh, my goodness, my landlord just raised the rent 50 percent, 40 percent, especially since those COVID deals have started to come down. And we're really hoping that giving access to this information, giving this this level of transparency can help renters connect with landlords that you know have been treating their tenants well. So that's the ultimate goal.
3: There are good landlords out there, aren't there?
1: They do exist, and we've definitely been collecting those stories. So a big percentage of reviews that come through OpenAglue are renters recommending their buildings to a friend, saying they really recommend the property owner and management. Um, we had some really heartwarming stories, particularly during the pandemic. Um, as you all know, New York had a really difficult time, um, especially when it came to, to housing. And we had stories of land Landlords just, you know, giving people free rent saying, Hey, you know what, don't pay your rent April, May, you know, spend time with your family, stay safe. Some landlords, you know, allowing renters to defer, if they lost their job, just giving flat out discounts. So I've liked being able to collect those stories and putting them in an organized place. So you know, we can reward those landlords for that good behavior and we can actually send renters their way when they have vacancies. Post-pandemic trend has really been about the lease renewals. So people just being absolutely flabbergasted by the renewals that they've been getting. So sometimes upwards of 50% on the renewal. So their rent is $2,000. Now it's a $3,000 a month apartment and people are just absolutely shocked by this. This is happening in particular neighborhoods, mostly in Manhattan. And these are the landlords that are really trying to recover the losses that they experienced during 2020 and 2021 as we know manhattan experienced this huge exodus buildings you know sort of emptied and they were giving out these big concessions right giving people 3 4 months free just to get renters in the door Now the market's back. People are back to New York. There's less, you know, concerns and fear about COVID. And we're really starting to see those increases happen. It's not fair. Renters don't like it, but we're really trying to shine a light on the landlords that are practicing this type of exorbitant increases and and hopefully steer renters away from them and put them in the houses with landlords that are a little bit more reasonable um, when it comes to price. Because at the end of the day, this is housing, right? This is people's, you
4: know, where they live. So Toby, do you have any
0: comments or questions? I tried the open igloo and I actually give my landlord a good review because they're super nice and very communicative. I'm really interested in what can people do to interact with the platform when they already live somewhere, right? So part of it is like when you're searching for a place, but what about the people that are already living somewhere?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So definitely encouraging people who are already in their place to review their current building, even a previous building to really help generate content on the platform. But you can also help future renters. So we have a Q&A feature on OpenAglue where a prospective renter can come onto a building profile and say, hey, I'm thinking about moving into this building. Can you tell me... What the average utility bill is every single month? Can you let me know? You know how responsive the landlord is, or ask you know clarifying questions, and then someone who lives in that building can actually go on and answer that that renter's question in an anonymous way, which is great. So really, just creating that platform for those conversations to happen. I just had a call with a renter a couple of weeks ago who said they saw the past tenant's um, name on the mailbox, so they found them online, sent them an email, or sent them a DM to try and get the you know the 411. Um, obviously that's a bit of a convoluted solution to get the information that he was looking for. So um, Open Igloo really trying to, to fill that gap and make it a little bit easier for those connections to take place. Definitely social media is a huge driver for us. Follow us on Instagram. Our handle is Open Igloo. We're also on TikTok. Really, what we do there is you know sharing housing resources and information so tenants can know their rights and do a, a better job during the apartment hunt and, and find those highly rated buildings and landlords. But yeah, social media has definitely been a big channel for us
4: excellent well thank you this is really great so it's openigloo.com if you're a renter in new york or plan to be a renter in new york you Better go there before you do anything. So, uh, you're Absolutely. listening to Passage to Profit with Richard Elizabeth Gearhart, our special guest, Toby Demel, and we will be right back.
6: What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearhart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at gearhartlaw.com. At Gearhart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact GearheartLaw Law on the web at gearhartlaw.com. At GearHeartLaw, Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common: they start with a solid foundation. First, GearHeartLaw Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So, if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company, Name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson
3: now more with richard and elizabeth passage to profit very interesting show today
6: let's talk about
4: who we had we had toby demmel with prodigiumpictures.com that's p-r-o-d-i-g-i-u-m Dash pictures.com and he's helping people make social impact videos and he's a big film producer, he's done some amazing things in his career. So go to his website if you want to get a hold of him to have him help you with your videos. Sure, he'd be happy to. And then we had Dr. Emily Spickle with Naboso, N-A-B-O-S-O.com. And this is a truly groundbreaking innovative product for people's. Feet. And I can't get into the details. Watch the show. Watch on YouTube where she shows the insoles. And it, it, it's amazing. And then we had a Mohammed Muhammad with OpenIgloo.com where renters in New York can rate their apartments. And we also had our media maven, Kenya Gibson. One of the words that came to me about the show was inclusivity
5: right? Because we were just talking about so many different things from using stories to empower and give people information. And then, you know, with Alia's platform, with Open Igloo, you know, making sure that people have access, right, to information so that they can make more empowered choices and decisions. And then with Dr. Emily, with what she's doing with her innovation and, you know, foot care, I mean, making sure people feel like, They have solutions and they can have a better quality of life. So I would definitely say this has definitely been a conversation around just keeping everyone connected and having options and choices.
3: Thank you so much, Kenya. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Passage to Profit. So stay tuned. Before we check out, though, I'd like to thank our team, our producer, Noah Fleischman, our project coordinator, Alicia Morrissey, and our video editor, Chatterboss. We'll be back again next week with another episode of Passage to Profit.